Hello, everybody. So before we get to today's interview slash album review, um, I wanted to just kind of explain what was going on. So Bethany and Graham are working on their tour. They're getting ready to head over to Europe very soon. And they've been uh, very busy in preparation with that and rehearsals. So it's been very difficult to schedule time. I'm incredibly grateful to have gotten some time with them. The only way we were able to make this interview work was if we did it in the car while they were out and about. So uh, this is a, a two-part interview this is the second half where we talk about their album for the Grand Bonnet Band, Day Out of Nowhere, which is a fantastic album, as you will hear clips throughout the show. Uh, an interesting thing, we kind of jumped around a little bit at the beginning, and I lost track of all the songs, so we missed talking about one, which is uh, ironically the title track, uh, but I have included a clip of that at the very end of the show instead of playing my normal outro, so you'll get to hear that, but go check out the full album. It's really amazing. If you're into some really heavy, hard stuff, this would be the place to go and find something really new and enjoyable to listen to. It's a great album. We're going to get into the songs themselves. So the audio um, is a little bit um, a little bit lower quality than normal. Again, they were in the car on speakerphone. So, uh, you know, it can only get as good as it can get. I've done uh, what I can to get it cleaned up and, and get the extra, you know, hiss and noises out. And thanks to some wonderful tools I have to assist me to do that. But it's not the normal uh, standards when I do it over Zoom. So uh, there's that to contend with. So this is the second half. During this, they actually arrived at home. So part of the interview is in the car and part of it is when they're at home. And so the sound is a little bit different between those two facets of it, but both were on speakerphone. So um, there is that to contend with. When the second part of this, which we actually recorded first, another album review that you may be able to guess what it is and you may not, will air in two weeks. And uh, it's going to be the same thing. I'll do a little reminder for that one as well. Um, but that one was 100% in the car. So uh, again, those are the kind of just the things to contend with as far as the audio goes. But uh, you know, you can you can hear what they're talking about. And there might be like little spots where it drops out a little bit or something isn't in, in, incredibly clear. But uh, I think we get like 95% of everything they said. So I'm pretty happy with that. Mostly, I'm just grateful to get some time with my wonderful friends to sit down and talk about the amazing music that they create for us and for themselves and um and you know kind of touch base with them before they head off on tour so here is the interview where we talk about day out of nowhere with graham and bethany Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Haskin, here once again with my dear friends, Graham Bonnet and Bethany Heavenstone, who are laughing at me because I cracked on the first intro. Um, I, I think I'm old enough to talk to you guys now. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Thank you for making me a priority. Of course. I, I have to say, I had such a great time uh, the last time I was in L.A. when I came in for NAM and uh, got to hang out with you guys a little bit, sharing some wonderful stories, just hanging out, having a great time. And I met Conrad, who's the guitar player on this album, Day Out in Nowhere. Super nice guy. Like, you guys are seem like a really good family. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, 
Well, it's it's definitely apparent on this album. I mean, I like the other two releases you guys have done very much, but I think you really hit a new stride with this album. And was it was it was it maybe in part that because of COVID you were allowed to just not worry about anything else and focus on the album? I think actually it was more that we were reunited after um you know, I'll spare you the details, but there were some ugly circumstances uh, that we weren't aware of until we did reunite, and um, it just made us that much tighter when the truth came out. Uh, I think also it took a little bit more effort on this record than on the first one of these because Graham had all these amazing songs already sort of, you know, in the chamber ready to pull the trigger on the, the book, and these albums this album, the songs were, uh, he, he culled from deeper in his brain and in his past to write these songs. They weren't already there. Well, that makes sense. And, and I said uh, too, before to you guys, like this really felt like a very personal album from a vocal standpoint. You know, like, like you really dug into the well to, to tell the stories. likely to get away with hiding it somewhere in the lyrics than you are yeah, putting it in the title. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why I don't think I won't put it in there or shit. I just think it's like, that's a surprise. Yeah. No, that's not a surprise. You said shit. 
I, I love the production on this album, but I it's, the more I've listened to it and the more I've gotten used to it, the one thing that does stand out to me, uh, and, and this might just be my, my you know audio engineer that's very judgmental in me um, picking it out, but it seems like the vocals, in, in contrast to the music, are, are very dry. There's not a lot of reverb on them. get more of the dynamics, right? Because with the reverb, those kind of just blend together and you lose the nuances. That's a good point. I, I love the overall production of the album, though. I mean, everything cuts through. You can hear the bass, you can hear the guitars, the drums sound tremendous. Uh, everything sounds really nice and clean. You guys did a great job making a great sounding album. Well, that is Conrad Pestinato because he, you know, he produced the book and he did a really nice job. But it was his like maiden effort. I don't think he'd ever done that before, and he's got a lot more experience. And you can hear the difference. He really knocked it out of the park as far as production in every way. I love. This was the first time you don't even hear anything. On this one, you can't, it, it cuts through, but it's not overpowering. And uh, he's, he's just a brilliant guy. He really is a smart man. Yeah, and he's he's super nice, too. Like, I, I when I met him, I thought, wow, he does not seem at all like I would picture a guitar player that plays the way he does. Like, you, you would kind of picture somebody to be, like, maybe a little bit egotistical, maybe a little bit standoffish, you know, but he's just really friendly, really nice, calm guy. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But man, can he play. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it was um, a bone of contention that um, when we went to Japan, some people were complaining a bit about him not playing the Inbe stuff in Alcatraz exactly the way Inbe played it. But no one ever told him he was meant to do that. I didn't know. And he, he played it. You know how it is, though, with fans. I mean, if if he played it exactly the same, there would be people complaining he's not being himself. If he plays it himself, there's going to be people complaining he's not playing what Ingve played. So it's like you can't win no matter what you do. I don't even know how to play it, but it just freaks me right out, first of all, when I saw 
he does like a fifth and an octave or something, and you know, but it is, but it is like arpeggiating a chord, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm gonna really sound like that right now. But anyway, uh, <laughs> it's beautiful, and I tried it, and it just loses the bollocks, as Graham would say. Mm-hmm. Um, when I did it, it's just you know. So I I do some things that rhythmically is like what he plays, but it's not the same, you know, arpeggiating of a chord. Well, but that's that's okay because bass is really supposed to be the bridge between the rhythm and the melodic. So if you're if you're duplicating what he's doing, then I think you lose a lot of that bottom end and and a lot of the the percussive support. You know, yeah. uh, you are a fast player, though. There's no doubt about that. Some of the stuff that you play on this album, I'm like, I have no idea how you do that. I, you know, it, it's, oh, it's it's pretty mind blowing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of it is like, holy shit, how am I going to do this live? You know, but I I have to. Well, that, you know, when I have to do a salt attack, and at the end of it, you know, the part that goes, but it is out of the Now, if I could sing it, I could plan. I forgot who said that, but uh, Graham said, I don't want you to do that. He said, I really want you to sort of chunk on an E there to really give it some balls because. It's kind of not as hard if the bass is doing exactly what the guitar is doing. And I tried it, and I went, yeah. "Ooh, yeah, that's." that's yeah, I have testicles right. now. I mean, it was like really, really ballsy. Um, and uh, at one point, we were working with very briefly with the guitar player. Like, no, no, you have to do that. And I'm like, hmm, I'm pretty sure I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Whose rules are those? <laughs> No, he was, he, that guy was really nice. He didn't end up being in the crowd, but he was, he was a lovely person. He, he was, but, um, you know, I, I take my orders from only one person in the standing. Yeah. His name is Graham. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and, and Graham, you're pretty big on tradition. You really like the songs to be performed as they were, as they were recorded when it comes to the classic stuff. He definitely had a great sound on that album. Uh, Richie did, yeah. and, and that same sound, like with the opening of, of uh, "Danger Zone," for example, uh, just yeah. it just really stands out on that whole album. And thinking of his tone, uh, uh, "Eyes of the World," his tone on that solo is just phenomenal. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's his thing. And uh, you know, I, I, I think it's a lot to do with Mark. You know, they work very well together. I wish, I wish Richie would, uh, would get back with uh, Roger and. Well, he he tried. I know that he had put it out there, and uh, he, was, he was gently denied. Yeah, wait, Richie tried. Yeah, he he had put it out there that he wanted to do one gig uh, with Purple, just get up on stage and and do a show. And um, 
And I, I think it was Ian Gillen that just said no. Interesting. And, and that was the end of that. Well, there, there was a thing that John Lord had said in an interview where somebody had asked him, like, wouldn't it be nice to just get everybody that was ever in the band and, and is still alive on stage to do a show together? And he goes, yeah, it would be nice, which turned into this big inflated rumor that John's dream is to reunite everybody in Deep Purple. And of course, that wasn't. Uh, but then Richie had there's a video on YouTube of Richie saying that uh, he would love to get back together with Purple and do one show. Uh, and that was before the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame thing. And uh, that was just kind of a that was just kind of its own thing with, you know, only the current band playing. And even David and Glenn weren't invited to play, which was kind of weird. And, uh, it, you know, it, it, it's all the political mess of things. But, yeah, the last that I had heard was that uh, Ian Gillen had just said, no, I have no interest in this. It's it's about the living, breathing Deep Purple now. And that's respected, but part of the past. Okay, so uh, you guys are home now, so we have a little bit different of an audio quality for you guys that are listening, wondering why things sound differently. Um, before we get into the songs, let me ask you guys, because you've you've been a part of a lot of projects. When you're getting ready to start an album, you say, okay, it's time to start working on another album. Is it an exciting but also kind of daunting task because there's so much to do ahead of you? Yeah. Hey, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> I'm spinning plates and I'm just dropping them left, right, and center. But yeah, I mean, there's the component of songwriting, which um, that works. That goes pretty consistently, other than just a freaking song was a little bit of a hit, a little roadblock there. But you know, it's the tours that are the ones that are like, oh crap to get prepared for those. That, that's yeah, I, I don't know how you guys manage that. I, I, I'm a very much a homebody. So for me, getting myself to go to the grocery store is kind of a, you know, two hour talk. I don't know how you just pick up and go yeah, to yeah. Japan. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I'm a bit like that, you know, because I, I do like recording from home, but at the same time, what you realize is all the home, there's all the chores to do at home. Right. And, oh, fuck, I can't do that right now, but I'm bloody back in the car or whatever. Side of things, I think it's always hard to find out 
on, I think I said before, a subject, you know, what, what can it be about? What, how can we change arrangements? How can we make things sound different from the last album? How can we not sound like everybody else? Well, I know a way to do it. Don't listen to everybody else. And I don't. I never listen to anybody that has anything to do with so-called rock and roll. I listen to old tunes, you know, my buddy Glenn Miller or something like that. I have nothing to do with, uh, you know, listening to that stuff. It bores the hell out of me because that's, that's what I do. It's like saying you sound to music, you know what I mean? And uh, I think uh, Rich, Rich is a bit like that. He never listens to heavy metal. He doesn't know who he's in what band. And um, neither do I. I don't, I don't really know until I meet them, you know. It's sort of a bit weird at the same time because people say, oh, you must listen to this guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I don't want to because it will take your time to copy or emulate what they're doing in a very similar way. And it, won't, it won't come off. So you've got some original ideas. Like my hero, Brian Wilson, does, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just comes up with the most incredible musical ideas I've ever heard, you know, from, uh, from Pet Sounds to Surf's Up and all those albums that Beach Boys made. And it's just amazing, amazing stuff. Not like anybody. And I think that's what we sort of got with our, with our latest album. We sort of got a, a, an identity. Not at all, they sound like blah, 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 you know. I think. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I understand what you're saying. I listen to very little music these days because I'm doing a lot, whether I'm working on an album or a podcast or a book or, yeah. or whatever I'm doing. I don't have the, the time to really focus on listening to something. So I don't. And people come to me all the time like, oh, you must know about this band and that band. I don't know jack shit about this band because <laughs> I don't I don't listen, you know. Um, no. But uh, but but yeah, it, it does make sense, too, that you would kind of become a little bit complacent if you're at home. If you're, especially if you're one of those, let me just do this first and you put everything before the recording. Yeah. Let me just do the dishes. Let me do a load of laundry. Let me get all this off of my plate so I can focus. And then it's 11 at night and you haven't recorded anything yet. Yeah, that's exactly right. Or, yes. you, or you do what I do and you say, okay, I'm going to start recording this vocal and you, st- you start the laundry and forget that you were going to record a vocal. Well, now I got to wait an hour before I can do anything because <laughs> the laundry's running. Oh, totally and can't be bothered anymore. Are you kidding me? I'm sitting late now. I'm tired. No, my voice will sound like shit. You know? Yeah, exactly. And what, what, what I, what the good elements in our band is uh, young Conrad there. And he does those with everything. Every fucking thing. He knows everybody, band member, every kind of music in the rock and roll genre, you know, or heavy metal, whatever you want to call it. So if he, he brings in the modern sound of, um, you know, heavy rock, very wonderful. I hate heavy goodness. I hate those titles, uh, Abel. But um, you know, he brings that to the to the table, you know, and that's I think is what we captured by the sound of our last album. I think he's listened to the production of a lot of these other albums, which is played to me. And I've gone, fucking hell, what is that? How come that, that sounds so damn big? He says this is because of this. And that's what we're trying to do on this album. You know, I think we've got a little bit of uh, you know, a bit of that is on there, you know. I agree. The, the album sounds huge. I mean, the, the production really makes the whole thing sound like I'm in the middle of the band listening to you guys perform. And oh, it, it doesn't feel like I'm in the audience, which is what I get with most albums. Yeah, so that's great. That's what we're going for. That's why the dry vocal thing, you know, not so much your face, because you get swamped. You know, we're not in the arena, we're, we're in the studio. And you want to hear every damn harmony, every guitar note, if possible. And instead of being all distorted, 
Uh, yeah, it's a real thing. I, I'm both of them talking about. Of course, there will be some, there's always some distorted stuff somewhere that has to be, or, you know. Uh, but so, you know, I like to hear, uh, like on certain verses in these songs, um, oh, I'm trying to think of something. saying about talking about my friend and we're going down downtown you know it's every word you can hear it's like oh, you know it's not like that you know it's a, it's a melody and it's telling a story it opens up the story and then it gets around to a jazzy uh, chorus which is kind of like I, I don't know manhattan transfer or something i don't know i i, I wouldn't like let's put my finger on it but uh, it's jazzy jazzy harmonies this song has a, you know, has a story to tell. And I love the chorus on that song. I think it's just so beautifully performed. Oh, thank you. This is true story. <laughs> she sounds like I'll quite never, a woman, Graham. <laughs> yeah, I, I, will, I will never forget it. I, I remember going over to my friend's house, and, uh, and I said, well, shall we get going? His name was David. Of course, David's mom. Sure. And, uh, I said, shall we get going? And David's mom said, hang on, I'll, I'll take you uptown. I'll, I'll drive you there. And uh, she said, just wait for me to uh, get ready. And she goes out, she goes down to the room. She had a, I remember she had a black dress on, really tight dress. I mean, she had black hair, she was very skinny, well, skinny, but nice, nice woman. And I'm like there, I'm like, I don't know, eight years old or something, whatever I was. And uh, she goes out, and over this chair was hanging a pair of salt stockings. I can picture it in my mind right now. And uh, they were warming by the fire, it was like cold, probably outside or something. And she comes over and she starts putting them on in front of me and speaking to me as she's doing it. And I'm going, well? <laughs> yeah, it seems like this is something you would not do in front of an eight-year-old, perhaps? Especially your son's friend? I wasn't very old. Yeah, and it, I thought, what am I feeling? Mm-hmm. And it was the first feeling of um, being aroused as a young man, you know? And I didn't know why. And to this day, I don't know why stopping so terrible. It, it does. Sure. I think everybody Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's funny. I think of what was I doing at eight? I think I was playing with Star Wars toys and reading books and learning how to play drums. <laughs> you know? I, I, we, were, we were listening to, I gave this in the song, we listened to uh, Les Paul and Mary Paul, you know, and uh, there's, there's stories in the song, you know, I, that's what I say, I like to write some, you know, about a real thing, a real event or whatever. And uh, that will, that will save my mind forever. And she just, she just, David's mom just died. She was, she was 92. Oh, wow. So, and I saw a picture as she got older, and she still had that, that useful vibe in her. She was beautiful. She really was. I think we, we always see those things in people when we have such a strong memory, though. You know, they may yeah. change and get older, but we'll always see that quality in them. Yeah, yeah. You know, 
But I think this is a key to what I love about your work, Graham, is that you do tell, you know, honest stories, but the way you perform them, even if they aren't yours, they feel like they were yours. I try. Yeah, I try to, yeah. I mean, um, but most of the stories on this album are my experiences, you know, or, or somebody close to me has had, you know, something that happened. Um, I, I don't, what did I... But see, that that's why I said I, it feels like a very personal album. That was, I think, the first thing I said to you when I saw you in L.A. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's the AA thing for a start, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, about uh, the BW. You know, um, it, that's something that I've been fighting with forever. I saw it for writing when uh, the, the thing the COVID thing happened. I saw it apart. I saw the part. I absolutely flipped up. You know, I was calling around my apartment because at that point, Beverly didn't want to know me. She said, you're just, a, you know, too, it's too much. So what happened was, I was calling around five bloody beans, and uh, it was just getting too bad. And um, I got, I'd gone out of it, I'm going to say, I'm here now. And uh, that's, I tried to get back onto, uh, you know, onto a clear, clean track. And so I'm not drinking anymore, which is... Uh, you would have had a great career as a comedian, by the way. Oh, <laughs> oh no, no, no. But, uh, it's, um, it's something that uh, I think a lot of people have a, a problem with, and it's not just me. Uh, Amber, there's one guy who was on TV. Uh, I went to an AA meeting, and um, he, I saw this guy across the room. He was a person I was on, on, on television. I thought, I know that guy. I know so him. It's, remember, I'm not saying anything. I said, I'm I'm, I'm on that guy's face. Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw him. He was looking at the clock, constantly looking at the clock. It's an hour meeting, you know, but they always are. And uh, not that you know, so I'm saying you do. Mm-hmm. Um, he um, was watching the clock, watching the clock. And he got to about three minutes before it was time up. And uh, he stood up and he said, uh, do you mind if I say something? And... Uh, and he went, yes, what's your name? He said, John or something. And he said, um, I thought things were going to get better when I stopped drinking. He said, instead, it got worse. Mm. You know, and uh, he was being very, very, very honest. And uh, some people, you know, like I found it very hard to follow the AA rules. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all set in. And that's what that song is about. It's about people who are confused by it, and I'm not the only one. You know, some people say the same thing, because I did. And which song is this? Oh, step. Oh, you're oh, okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program. Usually, men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had wondered if that's what it was about because it, it seemed like it, it aligned with that very well, but yeah. I I wasn't sure. Yeah, that's it exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
you know, I'm trying to, I do something every day. I read a, a little uh, word of the day, you know, which my sponsor sends me, you know, things like that, which I wasn't doing before. And I didn't think I needed help, you know. But, but um, you know, the so-called isms, they stay with you. You know, they might not be drinking, but there's certain things you do which are sort of mistakes, if you will, I made when I was drinking. I said, oh, no, I shouldn't have out. I shouldn't have done well, did I do that? <laughs> well, and, and the the other trick is not replacing it with other damaging behavior. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly. Yeah, well, I'm glad you're doing better, my friend. That's that's really good to hear. So that, anyway, but, so that's what that's about. So you've got, got two stories there going for you. <laughs> and I think definitely got that one. It's one of the most. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's uh, a great song. Um, let's let's talk about Imposter because that was the first one that you guys released and you did a video for and the video, the images in the video were just amazing, uh, the way it was put together. Um, mm. what, do, what do you feel about that song? Well, she keeps walking out the bloody room. <laughs> I, know, I was like, where is she? <laughs> she just doesn't want to join in. You leave me in with the cat. I wore her out before we were recording. He's looking at me like, look, listen. So, that was the first video. Um, I wasn't sure how it would go, to be honest with you, because we, we did with a very, very little, um, you know, elaborate sets and whatever else. It's amazing what you can do with very little if you if you put some imagination in it. I want what the guy did. He had all those CD screens of me in different, at different ages and performing different songs. Ever since like 1968 through to, to now. And uh, it was a great idea. But when he filmed the thing, it was just, is this going to work? I thought, well, this is what you can do. And then when I saw it, it was like, oh, God, yeah. The guy who came to the around, you know, doing all the bit. It was fantastic. And he did the second one as well, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I figured, it, you know, why wouldn't you use a, a, the formula works, yeah. you know? Um, one thing I love about this song is just the, it's a really powerful the way it comes out. And it's a great way to start the album. But it, it has a little bit of an Egyptian feel to it as well. Yeah, that's a <laughs> combat with a sitar or something. Uh, yeah, it does a little bit. Um, it's, um, I think that's, that is a, a very much a Richie Blackmoreism. And I think uh, sometimes uh, he used to do a lot of that sort of Egyptian feel, you know, you know that kind of feel to the guitar parts. And I think uh, uh, Conrad sort of subconsciously, I don't think he copied it, I think Richie did, but, but uh, subconsciously 
copied something that I he probably heard me sing on before and thought, well, this arrangement here would be ideal for going to make up a song. So, you know, I, I think, I don't know. Right. Yeah, there, there was a song on uh, Straight Between the Eyes, uh, one of the last Rainbow albums called Eyes of Fire. It was the last track, and it had that same Egyptian kind of feel to yeah. it. And it reminded me of this. As soon as I heard this, I'm like, that has that s- a similar sound and feel to Eyes of uh, to Eyes of Fire, which I thought was nice. Um, yeah. It's it's such a great and powerful song. Was it difficult for you guys to figure out the order of songs to put on the album? No, actually, kind of. The, the three of us sat down and. Uh, it just flowed really easily. Like it, we just said, "What about this? What about that?" And we all agreed, and it, yeah. Because the order really it flows very well. Yeah, I, it, you know, we all have our favorites, and I think that the three of us, you know, clients feel the same way about our favorites. Like they're the thing for each of us. But uh, there were some songs that I, I wasn't, you know, they they didn't rock my world for saying I will not tell you which but it's, I'm amazed that when I read people going oh my favorite song is I'm like really? <laughs> <laughs> well but that's that's the beauty of music is that there's so many factors there's what mood you're in the moment you hear something, how much you're paying attention, if you're in, uh, you know, if, if something good or bad has just happened to you, if you're distracted. I mean, there's so many things that go into whether you like a song or an album or a band. Um, if if I don't get a good impression the first time I hear a band, I try to find a different spot in my life to give them another shot because I realize it may have been outside factors that caused me to kind of dismiss them. So I get the same thing when I hear that from people about which songs they like the best from different bands. I'm like, really? But but then I think about those other factors and or maybe it just there's something similar to a song that they loved as a child. And it just has that familiarity yeah. to them. There's so much that goes into it. It's so hard to tell. Yeah, yeah that's, um, I think that's why I love the Beatles so much. Because it was part of my life so much. You know, until I, I, I was uh, just about to leave school when Please, please me came out, you know, I was 14 and a bit. And, uh, I've had a very good education, but I did take it and It was a very short education and not very, uh, intense for me. I didn't really learn very much at school. Uh, but I remember that coming out, that please, please me thing. And, uh, that was part of my life until this very day, you know. I see Paul McCartney out there and I go, yeah, I and I, I wish he and Ringo would maybe do a little bit more together yeah. too, but they they're kind of just doing their own thing. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't think anybody can dismiss the impact that the Beatles have had on on the history of music. I mean, they they really changed everything. Absolutely, I, I, I was talking about yesterday. You know, so a lot of times they changed fashion, hairstyles, everything. Suddenly, people had long hair. What the hell was that all about? Mm-hmm. You know, everybody sort of had hair like Elvis. And suddenly this, these guys came under like a fringe. And um, it was very odd. I remember my mum and dad, I bought a, um, the music of Please Please Me. And I put it on the table and my mum just said, who are these guys? They look very weird. And uh, I said, well, it's the Beatles. And she, she, you know, they asked me, who, who are they? And I played the music to so I played, um, they, in fact, I had their first album with the Beatles. And I played them some tracks from that, and they just said, "Wait, they're not very good singers, are they? <laughs> <laughs> not very good singers, are they?" And I said, "But, but that's, but actually, they are. <laughs> actually, they are good singers." But John and Paul and George eventually, really, really, George later, but really shone, I think. You know, with the songwriting and everything, came 
Thanks, Scotty, was with Jeff Lynn. But um, it was it was an opening up for everybody who was like playing the guitar in the garage somewhere. But when they can do it, so can I. And I think that's what happened, you know. A lot of kids are now pretending they were from Liverpool, and of course they weren't. But, um, you know, it was, it opened a lot of uh, eyes or ears to a lot of kids who thought you had to be able to sing like uh, freaking, I don't know, who them. But you didn't have to. As long as you had a song that's basically like a folk song, like Eleanor Reedley, it's a folk song. And uh, if some of the very honest voice is not screaming his head off, being honestly, you know, and those, those things are just, they were just out of reach to us, you know. And then I suddenly, wait a minute, this is, this is really good. Why do I like it so much, you know? It's because maybe I could do it too, you know, but I never thought I could. I, I always thought my playing seemed to be a hobby. I never thought it would become real. But a lot of kids, you know, at my age back then, they, they really wanted to go for it. And everybody moved to London or wherever else, and they became sort of well-known. How many Liverpool bands came out, for instance, at the same time? Right. Well, and and I got into the Beatles. I think my entry point, like I had heard some of their older songs, but my real entry point was like Magical Mystery Tour, Abbey Road, the the later albums. And then I started to appreciate the older stuff after the fact. So when I think of the Beatles, I'm, you know, like, like, that's where my mind goes initially. Revolver is is one of my favorite albums. Um, Oh, yeah. But but definitely groundbreaking. And and, and when you think about it, too, you think about like how you recorded this album or all the things that we have available to us in the way of recording tools. And they did it with such minimal equipment. They just had a brilliant engineer. Yeah, oh, God, yeah. They sure did. And uh, I, was, I, I was lucky enough to work with um, some people on a Beatles show. And uh, George Martin um, was uh, there doing his seminar about how they recorded. There was a film on and all that stuff. And we did some songs. Uh, from the Beatles albums, all in the same key, playing the same chord shapes as they did, and everything. It was, it was magical. Uh, Brad Delph was one of the singers, and uh, uh, Andrew Gold is another guy. Uh, it was me. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I was there. But it was, it, it was fucking great. I mean, I'll never forget. That was another big moment in my life, I think, uh, in my musical life, when, when we did that show. At the uh, palace here in um, in LA, because uh, everything was in the, in the right key, the right chord shapes, everything. Guitar solos absolutely the same. But it was all musicians that were really fantastic, and the audience was full of uh, musicians who you, you know very well. There was a lot of people there from the music It was I, I was uh, honoured to be part of that. I was just very lucky. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And, and uh, oh, it was great, man. I'm telling you. When you guys come out here, we'll have to go over to uh, the Mirage and see the Beatles Love. It's it's a really oh, yeah, spectacular yeah. show. Yeah, I, I got the album. Oh, did you? Yeah, it's really good, isn't it? Yeah, the album's fucking great. Uh, and to, to add that to the, the stage show is just, it's phenomenal. Yeah. I, I would love to see that. Yeah, well, we'll definitely go when you guys come out. Yeah.
I wanted to ask you guys too, and, and Beth and me, I'll start with you on this one. Brave, Brave New World is one that really, uh, the bass really shines through on this. Another one where I just love the pre-chorus. It's, it's a more straightforward song, but it just has such a great feeling to it. It's one of my favorites. I love that. You know, with guest um, writers and performers on a record, sometimes it can really, you know, change the sound or whatever. And Roy Z, he's the most unassuming guy. It's brilliant. And he, he comes in with a, like a case of sparkling, flavored sparkling waters. And, you know, he's just so down to earth dude, you know, and he just writes brilliant stuff. He plays brilliantly. And I love the way that song turned out. I also want to point out, did you ever notice that on every one of our records, there's some really saucy content? No. <laughs> really? It cracks me up because on um, every record, there's got to be something that makes you go, wow, he wrote a song about that. <laughs> you know? You know, David, David's, David's mom down this one. David's mom had the fun one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you got to shake things up a little bit, you know, like like we get inspired by things that are interesting, shocking, uh, you know, whatever it is that, that captures your eye or sticks in your memory. So, you know, when you're when you're writing from that point of, of realism, of course, you're going to put things like that in there. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's funny. I was uh, trying to figure out like stage gear for this upcoming tour. And I put something on yesterday and I said, what do you think of this? And <laughs> what's it? And he goes, there's so many things you guys have to think about when you're when you're putting a tour together i mean there's all the domestic stuff making sure the bills get paid and all that making sure that you have enough clothing and that it gets cleaned and and i mean there's so much that goes into a tour i could wax poetic on this subject just the fact that i'm the only girl in the band mm-hmm. oh my god so i'm washing my underwear in the sink and then laying it across the dash of the van in between <laughs> the poor guys in my ground have to like <laughs> yeah there, there's a lot to think about and also for me because i do I, i'm the busiest person i know you know i have special needs children i i'm you know i i have to take care of everything no matter how much i try to distance myself from any kind of managerial stuff band wise invariably it comes back on me and that's i think because people know that if you need something done, if you give it to a busy woman, it'll get done. So, and and you had taken so much ownership for so long that I think it's just a natural, and it's a motherly thing too. Like when a mother sees something's not done, you just do it. Right. Like on on Friday, I had so much to do, and I ended up spending a couple of hours talking to uh, three different people from management plus other band members, just trying to you know organize things and. I could probably let go of some of the control, but like I did that on the last tour and the routing, not the routing, I shouldn't say that, but like we were leaving venues and driving for a couple of hours to get to a hotel closer to the next area where we would be running. I'm like, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm tired. So I had to, so I was making sure that hotels and all of that were to our liking because none of us enjoyed that. We don't want to do that anymore. No, you just want to relax after that. You don't you don't want to be on the road. And uh, I know that I, I was listening to an interview with Ian Pace years ago, and he said that, you know, in, in they all have houses within a reasonable proximity of the airport, because when you finally get home after being gone for three months, the last thing you want to do is spend another two or three hours on the road. 
Right. Absolutely. You know, makes a lot of sense. Uh, for you guys, you could live really close to the airport and still spend three hours trying to get home, but that's LA oh. for you. Oh, there was, oh my God, there was one tour where I don't know why we decided to do this, but we, there's an airport, um, there's a, do you know what the flyway is? It's like a bus. It's a big bus, like a lot of people, and it'll take you from LAX to Van Nuys Airport, and from there it's just a quick shot home. I don't know, it was the first and last time we did it because I think the worst of it was it was like a cloud burst, so. We were moving so slowly, and there was this one guy who was on the phone oh, the whole time. We had to all listen to this idiot's conversation. We're, we're, not, we're not doing this again. I hate that, yeah. Uncle John, Graham, what are your thoughts on that one? Oh, again, true story. Believe it or not. Well, it comes from uh, when I was at school. I was about 13 years old, and uh, we had a deaf teacher come in to uh, you know, take over some guy who was sick or something. And anyway, he came in for like a couple of months, and his name was uh, John Smith. Um, a short guy. He always looked like he needed a shave. But uh, everybody, all the kids really loved him. He was very friendly with all the kids, the girls and the boys. And uh, everybody said, like, oh, I do have Mr. Smith for, for class today. Oh, yeah. What's he teaching? Oh, he's geography today. He saw everything. Uh, the only thing he didn't teach was art. But it was every fucking sub- subject. And this guy was, all the kids kind of loved him. And um, suddenly he was gone. He was suddenly tired. We don't know And, um, what happened was he, <laughs> he was later found out in another city molesting children. <gasps> no. Yeah. It was a pedophile. Wow. Yeah, so Uncle John was... Uh, it's all about the paper. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, the paper. Well, I was looking at the paper. And I, it's a line in the song. I'm looking at the paper and I, I go, you know, I look at this picture. And I think, wait a minute, that was like Mr. Smith. And I said, can't be. Wait a minute. It is. And it was him. It was this guy who called himself John Smith. And he, yeah, that wasn't his real name. But um, he was a pedophile. And that's why he was also friendly with all the kids, especially the younger ones, you know? Sure. Yeah. And that was, uh, hey. <laughs> so I, you know, I said, yeah, just be careful. Don't let your kids go down that dark path with them, you know, because... You know, to, to the, what I said, the Praises Sanctuary or something. I can't remember the word, but that's what it's about. It's a true story. And it just, was just shocking. And now we know why he was fired, you know. I, I had a science teacher in eighth grade that everybody loved. He was a little bit, you kind of felt like he was a little bit out there. You know, he would tell us about crazy human experiments and things that probably kids in eighth grade didn't really need to know about. 
and, and one day he was just gone and um they they had actually institutionalized him and, and I don't know what it was. I mean, you, you definitely felt that there was something different about him, but yeah. not, you, you didn't sense like a danger or anything. And I don't know what no. it was, but it was kind of the same thing. All of a sudden, he was just gone. Yeah, that's it. They, they, uh, the kids had confidence and they felt comfortable with him. You know, it was that, that's, that's their game. That's how they do it. Well, J- John Wayne Gacy was a clown. You know, he, he yeah, exactly. Hey, so where do you go yeah. from there? You know, yeah, I'll, um, that's what I can tell you about. Great yeah. song, though. Uh, at least you got a good song out of it. There's, there's always that. I guess. <laughs> The Sky is Alive. I love the opening. It's really intriguing. Um, again, it kind of has that slight Egyptian feel to it. Ah, well, that's, um, I don't know if you've ever seen anything or heard anything about that. It's um, weird. I haven't heard anything much lately. But um, there's been a couple of uh, uh, articles on uh, some you know, news shows, whatever. And uh, it's a, a noise. This noise, they thought, was probably coming from an earthquake or from heavy machinery nearby or whatever, but it sounds like a... Right. Mm-hmm. I'm familiar. Like that. Mm-hmm. Like a monster. And it keeps on going. And then everybody goes, where is that coming from? And people, you know, they've uh, kind of surveyed the land around where this sounds heard. And there's nothing there. There's no earthquakes. There's no... Wait, wait, crack, fracking, is it? Fracking. fracking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's nothing going on like that. Nobody's digging holes in the ground. Nothing like that. Every time it's heard, people look up and it's like, it's coming from the sky. What the hell is it? And uh, it, I haven't heard anything about it recently, but people are totally puzzled, puzzled by it because it's, it's scary as hell. It sounds like you'd imagine a dinosaur sound, something like that. And then it just goes on and on. And uh, people just don't know what to do. It scares people. And I saw one, the guy, he was sitting in the bedroom, he heard this sound, and he opened the window, it was louder, you know, same thing. He just went outside, looked up at the sky, and he sees that's where it was coming from. It's like we are being watched or monitored by some big creature who uh, is running our lives, and all the disasters in the world are happening because they're trying to keep the population down or something. It's just, just fucking with us in general, you know. I don't know. It's a weird, odd sound, which I, I can't explain, except it's a disguise like a lion. It just sounds like a, a, a lion or some kind of creature. You know? I, I agree. And I've heard those uh, in video, but I actually experienced, because there's a couple different sky sounds that people have heard. There's another yeah. one that's similar to trumpets. 
And uh, yeah. back when I used to, to smoke and I was editing audiobooks, that was my excuse to take a break was to go have a cigarette. So I, it was about <laughs> 2, 2.30 in the morning when I was living in Phoenix. And I yeah. go out on the patio, I light up a cigarette, and I hear those trumpet sounds. And I thought, yeah. I, I thought I was losing my mind at first. But the challenge was trying to figure out where it was coming from. I mean, I'm an audio yeah. engineer, so I understand sound field. I have no idea where that sound was coming from. To this day, I, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. But it's a very weird thing to experience. It's it's really haunting. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that too. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. like, like um, Angel's Horn or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, a, yeah, I've heard it. And that's another one. That's part of the sound of the sky. Right. And uh, what is it? And why are we here? You know, it's just a total mystery. And nobody's really found out what it was. But, but, you know, as I said, it was probably an earthquake or, you know, coal mining or whatever the hell, you know, mining somewhere nearby. But it's all over the country. It's all over the world. Yeah, there's there's no mining going on in Phoenix, Arizona. I can tell you that. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the, the lights. And all that, yeah. Right. I, the, the first thought that came to my mind was, I hope I lived a good life because it might be over in a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah. did I hear some female backing vocals on that? Oh, that's what they say, over. Yeah, that was me. Okay, I thought it might have been, yeah. Yeah, very nice. It was well blended in there, in the mix. That's kind of But it has, it has this beautiful dramatic chorus, um, and it just kind of goes off. The song just goes off at the end, and I thought, that's just a perfectly fitting musical ending to this story. Yeah, it's really heavy, that one. I love it. Yeah, one of the heaviest on the album, I think. Yeah, I, yeah, it's, yeah, it has that uh, mysterious, creepy thing about it, which I try to do in my lyric, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's, yeah, unexplainable and still a mystery. So it's very folks. I, I really hope that one's figured out in my lifetime because I would really love to know. Yeah. I'm still trying to figure out how the pyramids were built, though, so I'm way behind. Yeah. <laughs> it's my people that did it. Uh, wow, we've only got a couple more. Um, uh, when we're asleep, Bethany, what are your thoughts on that one? Oh, that's definitely about me. He won't admit that it is. <laughs> oh, I do. I do want to give a plug to my best friend in the whole world, Mike Tempesta, who wrote and played on that song. I freaking love that guy. I love him as a person and as a musician. I think John. He, he's yeah, well, yeah, John. Of course, John's you know a god on the drums. So, but Mike, he's my daughter's godfather. We were really tight. We're spending thanksgiving with those guys i don't know whether john's gonna be here or not but um definitely mike and his wife and daughter we spend all our holidays together and he he was in a band called human waste product project which is a horrible name if you ask me oh god i hope he doesn't ever hear it 
Well, if it's a if it's a punk band, it's not a bad name. It, well, they weren't really a punk band. They were oh god, they were so loud. Jeez, <laughs> oh my god. But the thing about it is, Mike has this sort of pop sensibility as a musician, and it just somehow works in every genre. I love the way he plays. I do. I love it. But um, back to it being about me. Yeah, Grab says no, no. That's about everybody who's in a relationship. And blah blah blah. It's totally about me. I'm <laughs> No, it's true. I mean, it tells the truth. You want you wonder what kind of mood somebody's going to be in when you wake up together. You know, married couple, whatever it may be. You know, how are they going to be today? How are they going to treat me? Am I safe? Do I say anything? Do I just keep my yeah. mouth shut? You know, it's well. As I said earlier, I windexed him today. We just let it go. See. <laughs> Well, but but you know you're you're right, and because especially because nowadays people are so on edge, and you feel like any innocent thing that you say can just set them off, and and we do live in very delicate times these days. Well, okay, I'll I'll say one thing. When we first got together, you know, we were just friends initially for about a year before we became anything beyond that, and I was the sweetest girl in the world. I was. We we never fought, and just. Yeah, I finally had to start advocating for myself because I was just, you know, taking abuse from former band members and management. And, you know, I I had to become almost masculine in how I dealt with everybody in the band because I was getting walked on. And so, and, and, you know, there's a, because Graham, I love Graham dearly. I'm just going to preface what I'm going to say by saying that. I do. I love him more than I've ever loved anybody in this world other than my children. Uh, but he's non-confrontational and he had all the power in the world, but just, it's, it's just not his, it's not who he is as a guy. Like he's just so nice. He's not, he doesn't want to make any waves, but because of that, I, I did take a lot of abuse and it pissed me off. So when all was said and done, yeah, I'm, I'm not necessarily as nice as I used to be because I don't want to get abused anymore. You know, I, I stand up for myself. Whereas before I just kind of rolled over and took it and now I'm not going to. Well, I think we all reach that point when when things aren't going well or we feel we're not treated well that either either you succumb to it and you end up depressed and potentially suicidal or you start pushing back and building up some boundaries and saying nobody goes below this line anymore. Exactly. You know, uh, but Graham, I, I, I feel I'm very much the same way as you. And that might be part of why we get along so well. I very much like I'd rather just say, okay, you're right, walk out of the room, then have any kind of confrontation. And it's just most of the yeah. time, it's not worth it. But, but Beth, me, I get where you're coming from. If you're being treated badly, that's different. You know? yeah. But it just, it just seems like in today's world, you can just say, hey, I was watching the Simpsons cartoon and people go, oh, I hate the Simpsons and just get angry and not care about <laughs> what your point was. They just want to be angry. It's like, it's like we have to rage and be angry and have something to fight against all the time. And I, I don't understand the world we live in yeah. today at all. No, I'm with you. Yeah, well, you know, I, I also have some hormonal issues right now that make me very angry. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's natural. You know, that happens. Uh, but it, but it's a really good song. I love the the double picking riff on this one. I think the guitars, I, I think this is one of the best song, songs for guitars on this album, too. Oh, I, I love that you said that. I can't wait to sound like that. Oh yeah, for sure. It's it's fantastic, and I mean, there's there all the the playing on the whole album is great, but there something about this song really stood out to me. Now, did I meet him at at the Nam show? Was he part of your autograph signing? No, he's you know he works for Charlotte Jackson, and he's normally at 
Yeah, but I don't think Fender was even there this year. No, they weren't. No, a lot, yeah. of, a lot of the bigger companies weren't there. Pearl Drums, Roland Keyboards, they, they were not there. Uh, it was a weird year. It was really weird, just the fact that it was so late in the year. Uh, in the year, but you know, that's self-explanatory. My, my favorite part was when I, I, cause I, I didn't want to just come up to you guys. I mean, yeah, I was just at your house two days ago, but I, I didn't feel right just approaching. I thought, well, I'll stand in line with everybody else. No big deal. And it was my last thing I was going to do before I left the show for, for the year. And uh, I was listening to people in line talking about how Graham used to sing for black Sabbath and he replaced Ronnie James Dio in, in yes. Like, <laughs> Just th- these most ridiculous things. And, and I'm sitting there like, oh, I can't, I just can't listen to this anymore. <laughs> oh, how funny. So you've, you've had a colorful career, whether you knew it or not. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God, that's hilarious. And, and I think everybody has joined Black Sabbath from the, the Deep Purple family at some point or another. Yeah. So I, I don't think you're, you wouldn't be in good company there. Well, he was asked to join. Black Sabbath? I was up for the, the dog, but I turned it down. Wow. And then Ron took it. And had three good albums for those guys. That would have been interesting. I, I don't see you being like a black leather kind of yeah. guy. Well, the, the name Black Sabbath itself is a bit corny and, you know, yesterday. Steady. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, <laughs> well, it, it just wasn't me. Yeah. <laughs> it just wasn't me. Uh, yeah, I just I just don't see that. Uh, I did I did love uh, the album that Ian Gillen did with them, Born Again. That's that's another one of my absolute favorite albums. It's fantastic. But I think had he tried to go on and do another album with them, I think it would have wouldn't like that was just a one off thing that worked really well. If you'd have done one album with them, it would have been interesting to hear the styles and how that would have worked together. Um, but I I wouldn't have seen that being a long lasting relationship. No, I, I don't look like a bike Sabbath. You look like somebody I just want to have a cup of coffee with. Exactly. Yeah. Or your favorite bank manager. <laughs> <laughs> I would trust you with my money for some reason. Going to the last couple songs on the album, uh, we've got Jester, which I, I think is a is a really got some really dramatic turns in that that when I, the first time I listened to it, I went, wow, I didn't expect they would have gone there with this song. And uh, it's really interesting, but it's a very busy song. Uh, yeah, I love that song. I think it's it's great. And, you know, Jeff Loomis is amazing. Um, it's uh, the subject matter to me seems pretty obvious, but I'm amazed at how many people actually think the opposite of, of what it is so um i, I love it 
I think it's it's so freaking hard too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like it would be. And the, I think that this is probably the best drumming song on this album too. The double bass work on it is just fantastic. Oh yeah, well, that's that's young Kyle. That's our boy Kyle. That's who's actually goodness. staying with us um, at the moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to tell you all about. <laughs> yeah, what's happening with Kyle today? Yeah, we'll tell you about. Kyle's not having a good day today. We'll just leave it at that. Oh no. <laughs> Well, I, I always believe that that even if you're having a horrible day, any moment things can change. I, I try to be a little bit yeah. of an optimist and, and realize that just as quickly as things can go badly, they can just turn on a dime and, and get better. Absolutely. I, I find that happens all the damn time. When you think it's like, well, what the hell are they going to do? What's going to happen? What's going to happen tomorrow? Suddenly, out of the blue, something really good will happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're kidding me. You know what I mean? It hasn't happened recently over the past few days, but it does happen that way, you know. You have to be open to it. If you're not, if you're not open to it, you won't see it. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's too easy to dwell in misery these days and it just is. just stay in that pocket. Yeah, I agree with you absolutely. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't at all. No. The last song on the album, this is just a, a beautiful, dramatic song, uh, Susie. And this yeah. is, is, you know, all orchestral. It just sounds rich and full, but it really sounds back in the 60s to me. You know, the, just the sound of the orchestra really brought me back. And I just did a review of some Bing Crosby music for, for the Christmas special. And this kind of has that same feel to it. It just brought me right back in time. Was that intentional? Well, we did it, uh, you know, I, I think I was saying something to you before about um, how we do um, a bonus track from Japan, and it's a, a, another. It's a song that's already on the album that's of the one of the ten that we do, and then we do a bonus track that's done in a different way. So originally, we were just going to do it really um, casually and sort of acoustically. My son played drums on it, like percussion. And we did that. That ended up being the bonus track. Mm-hmm. And we reversed it, because that was supposed to be on the record. The bonus track was going to be the orchestral part. Um, it was going to be the bonus track from Japan. But it just turned out so incredibly beautiful that we decided to reverse it. So the bonus track is the very stripped-down version. Um, the song was... Graham, I asked him to write the song because I had a girlfriend that passed away at the beginning of COVID. She, it was not COVID related, mm-hmm. but it was absolutely devastating. And he kept saying, you know, I need you to write a little bit to let me know what you want it to be about. And I called her, her, I called her husband and he recounted the story of what happened. And that's what Graham just wrote their story. And he, it's so beautiful. 
And I cannot listen to it without crying. I have never listened to it without crying. Not once. Yeah, I I listened to it again um, on Friday. And just in preparation for, for the interview, I wanted to kind of refresh myself on the album. And I had to stop it about halfway through and just let myself just breathe a little bit because it's very overpowering. Yeah, it's, it, you know, my heart is so broken because somebody that I met, when we first started the band, like on one of the first tours, I, I met her. Or actually, I, I didn't really talk to her then. We met her husband, she and her husband. Oh, and, was a, yeah, yeah they, they would come to all the shows and she was just so generous in spirit and she was constantly sending me little gifts and messages. She made me laugh so hard. She was such a beautiful person. And I, you know, I don't want to go into too much detail, but I really looked up to her because every time I felt sorry for myself for things that were going on in my life, I just realized how much harder she had it. And uh, she that always brought me down to earth. But she was so graceful in how she dealt with, I mean, crazy. Like she had a little girl she was married she was pregnant with her next kid her husband dies and then her kid is born exceptionally disabled mm-hmm. and um you know she's she just struggled with so many different things but she always had a smile for other people uh, you know she was so compassionate and so freaking funny i we tried to talk in the phone but her she had such a heavy yorkshire accent that we went back to communicating through text and the night she died, she was consoling me. I was really upset about something, and she was just so there for me. And I said, I, I don't know. I'm going to cry when I tell you this. I said, I don't know what I would do without you. And she said, I'll always be there for you. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. This dead like two hours later. Wow. Yeah. But, you know, th- the thing is, is that she's still there for you because those memories, those moments that you think back on that you, you know, whether they were good times or rough times that she was helping you through, those moments will resurface and she always will be there for you. It's it's an amazing thing, the power of relationships like that. I, I'm glad that you got to experience that with her because it's a pretty rare uh, thing. She was an absolute gem. Well, let me tell you what I wrote down on my notes for this song. Uh, very, very short notes. I wrote, uh, I feel this story, Graham Magic, and So Damn Powerful, all in capital letters. Because mm-hmm. that's, that's, and when I say Graham Magic, Graham, we've talked about this before. That's that just ability that you have to make me feel whatever the hell you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he wasn't happy with his recording. He yeah. wanted to redo it because. He, he just felt like he could do it better, but it was so raw and real. Like, no, don't touch it. <laughs> well, I think this is this is the kind of song that you could really overjudge yourself on. And this is one I think you have to do in one or two takes and just let it be that raw emotion. Because yeah. if you try to be too perfect, uh, you'll lose a lot of the nuances trying to say, I want to feel this way. I, I want to articulate this way. I want to articulate that, that that way. You'll lose it. Yeah, and that's what uh, eventually happened because I said to Conrad, uh, well, this song, you know, I made it up where it starts off in, in a high, the first note is a, a B, a high B, not the low B, and he said, why don't you try the verse down low and then come in at the end with the high B, you know, because you're just on the top C, you know, so it's a pretty powerful note. And so I wait until the very end where the, the orchestra breaks away, then, then the high note comes in. 
it's so much more effective and it makes me, it gives me chills, you know, and that's me saying, I'm listening to myself, I know it's probably good art, but, you know, it's kind of, um, I almost spoke it because I had a, another very good day that day, I was tired or something, my voice wasn't in the best of shape that, that day, until I got to the end of the song where I was comfortable, which is in the higher register, because I wanted to do it in the higher register, which is the octave height from the way it's recorded, and that's what my, that was my comfortable area. But to see down where I do it, it's a little low for me, you know, but almost spoken. And that makes more on it. And, and I have to say, your, your voice on this album, you sound as good as ever. You really do. I think this is, this is some of the best stuff you've recorded in your entire career. Thank you. Well, thank you. I mean, it's just you, you come out of the gate with Imposter just so powerful and you end the album with this song, Susie. It's just from from beginning to end, the album sounds great. Your voice is amazing. The the performances, the, like I really love this album. And I'm one that is so picky about what I listen to these days on the rare occasion I listen to music because I used to listen in the car and I don't drive that much anymore. Um, this is a go-to album for me now. And that's that's big because for me, it would have been like, well, I'll go back and listen to Down to Earth or something by Deep Purple or, you know, whatever, because those are my comfort albums. Uh, but this this is on that list now because it's such a great project. Um, do you know something? I can listen to it and go, this is fucking good. And I don't do that very often. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, God, we should have done that. Oh, we should have done that. You know, I pick every track to pieces. And I, 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 it sounds stupid. But I'm with you there, and I, I really don't. I don't think any so-called artist ever finishes the painting off properly. He knows that you do that last little dab of paint. Mm-hmm. And I, I went to do that sometimes. Oh, I should have done this. You know, but this was, I was controlled. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, when the vote was done, you know, on that particular song, anyway, um, Homer said, that's it, that's it. it. No, no, don't do anything. Just as is, you know. But uh, the whole album, I, as I said, I can just, I'm very proud of this. It is one of the best things I've done. Yeah. And this band is now. This is our third album. And came through fucking great, I think, in this one. And it, it, it's, it, it's, again, one of those things, like I said, when we were talking about Down to Earth, I hate that that we have to go through all these horrible things to make something great come together. And you think about, you know, with, with the relationship with Conrad kind of going away for a while and then coming back to make this album. Um, it's almost like I, I hate that that had to happen, but I'm so grateful for it because look at the final product. Yeah. Yeah, we're lucky. Somehow uh, the dogs were with us, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I know what you mean. Like, I can't listen to my own music because I'll sit here and go, I should have mixed this better. I could have done this. I should have added a tambourine. You know, why did I put the shaker in there? You know, it, you can you can overproduce yourself to death and into hating your yeah. own work. So I'm, I'm glad yeah. you enjoy it. How do you feel about it now? Because it's, it's been a while, Beth and me, since you guys finished it. Uh, looking back, is, is this an album that you can listen to? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I love the fact that I get to say I'm a co-producer, mm. you know. And the fact that out of the three albums that we've done together, this is the first one that we charted in three different positions in Billboard. I was like, oh yeah, baby. Yeah. Oh my God, he's a producer. I can't wait to do another record. I want to, I want to take it. Everybody now. I was so happy to see that it got recognition right off the bat. I mean, there was no hesitation. Just boom, it was on the charts. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was hoping that um, it was going to be more popular in Japan. I mean, we did well, but um, I thought for sure 
problem was that our label, instead of doing it through our normal Japanese label, which is Ward Records, they did it through a label called Marquee. And I think that, you know, without having uh, Masito behind it, it wasn't, it, you know, just sort of fell to the wayside after a short period of time. And it's a tour, and that really bothers me. I would love to tour Japan with that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and hopefully you guys will get back there before too much longer, but you guys will be touring in the UK and then uh, down in Spain here pretty soon, so that is fantastic. I'm very excited for that. Hopefully before too much longer, a US tour will ensue, but I'm sure you guys will have a great time out there on the road with the Dead Daisies. That that just sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so yeah for sure. Yeah. And FM. Yes, uh, I could. I, I don't. I'm not as familiar with them, but I can say the Dead Daisies are social media experts. It, like every five seconds, they're posting something, and it's always happy. And you could tell they're enjoying their lives, doing what they do. Yeah. But you guys are also amazing at social media. You're always interacting with your fans. You're you're responding. Um, you guys are very very good to your fans, and that's something that I really appreciate because not all artists are. Some of them are very standoffish. I I suck at social media. I'm the first person to admit that. I post and log off because I don't want to see anything that's going on in the world. Uh, but you guys are very <laughs> good at it. So thank you for for taking care of your fans and being so good to them because not everybody is. Sure. I love that shirt due to uh, Bethany being on that. You know, she's really on the ball with that. And uh, Conrad, you know, the two of I'm the one that's kind of lazy and doesn't know what to do, what to post, what to say, what well, to do. I'm, you know. I do it for him. I'm right next to him going, writing these things. Going, yeah, she, yeah, exactly. what do you, want, you know, and at least when I write it for him, I'm, you know, the punctuation is correct. He <laughs> um, likes to do like five commas in a row. And I'm like, no, no, don't do that. You cannot. So the breaths come. No, use ellipses for that, not commas. <laughs> but um, it's it's funny because, you know, people in our past have tried to, you know, shame us and say, oh, Bethany goes all, it's not him, it's it's Bethany writing it. But we're joined at the hip. He's yeah. always the you know, I might paraphrase, but it's it's his thoughts. Sure. When his when his brother died, it was he was so devastated, and he wanted to post about it, but he was really struggling to eulogize him. And so I said, "Give me a crack at it," and I did. And I read it to him, and I said, "What would you like me to change?" And he said, "Nothing." That is mm -hmm. exactly how I feel. And I said, "I know, because we've been together for so long. I do know how he feels." Exactly. So I never post anything without him knowing I posted it or reading it or, you know, sanctioning it. Yeah. It, it, you know, people like to have controversy and if they can find some, you know, something to say about it, they will. It's a really strange time that we live in. But one of my favorite things that I've seen on Facebook in the many years I've wasted on it is uh, some, somebody will post something like, you know, who, who's an artist who responds to their fans? And, and invariably, somebody will always put Grand Bonnet. And they'll tag you in it. And, and then within like five minutes, there's a post that says, thank you very much. You know, like, and I love that because it, it proves the point. You're very good to your fans. Yeah. He, you know, when, when he posts something and tons of, I mean, tons and tons of comments, he can't possibly respond to all of them. Oh God, But no. he does read them or I read them to him. Mm -hmm. And he always says something like, oh my God, I am so overwhelmed. This is amazing. And so I, you know, go on as him and I'll post that. Like, make, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely overwhelmed at, you know, your comments. But that's him. It might be me physically typing it, but those are his yeah. feelings. Exactly. And and like you said, you know, you know each other so well that you can 
be a, a little bit interchangeable too. But of course, you wouldn't you wouldn't go off and just do things without somebody's going. Yeah, that's fine. You know. Yeah. No, I won't speak for him unless he's next to me. Right. I don't do. Exactly. Well, I can't thank you guys enough for spending so much time with me today. I'm very much looking for, you know, the people who haven't heard this album to give it a chance. If you guys like the samples that I've played throughout the show, check out the full album. Um, You can get it. uh, It's easily available everywhere. And uh, go back and listen to the last couple albums. I'm I'm partial to the book. I think that's a, a great album. The other album was kind of a departure. And then I think this one is just the the crown achievement so far. And I cannot wait to see what you guys do next. Thank you. Woo-hoo, me too. I think you got it right. Yeah. This is, this, out of the three albums, I think we got it right on the third album. Mm-hmm. I really. Yeah. There's, there's definitely, at least for me, uh, something very magical about this, all, all of this coming together. I, I, and I, I can't thank you guys enough for putting out something that I can find so much enjoyment in. Because again, I'm I'm very picky, and um, for me to go, I want to hear this right now. You know, <laughs> even if I'm in the middle of a work meeting, I still might want to hear it right now. Uh, you know? Yeah, but I I wish you guys the best on your tour. Have a lot of fun. Um, hopefully, we'll we'll get to see you guys again before too much longer. And uh, just keep doing what you're doing because you're you're on a great path. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you guys. And uh, we'll chat again soon. Okay. No, no, no problem there. <laughs> Sounds great. Cheers, you guys. 